Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Island Conversations Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations brought to you by KTA Superstores where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Good morning. Welcome to Island Conversations. People are very, very concerned about coronavirus, as they should be. But as I just heard a teacher at a medical college say, people are panicked by coronavirus. But we have other infectious diseases that we should also be concerned about and possibly even more so, such as influenza or flu. So today, my guests are two doctors from the Big Island, Dr. Dick Baranian and Dr. Peter Locatelli, who will talk to us with the facts about coronavirus and influenza. Influenza. As of my recording this, there's more than 80,000 people who've been diagnosed with coronavirus, nearly 2,000 deaths, but that pales to the number of cases of influenza and the actual deaths from influenza, which are estimated this particular flu season to be as high as 36,000. And we're talking just in the United States. And that's why I wanted to talk today, get some facts about both coronavirus and influenza. Before we get to our conversation, let me remind you, Island Conversations is available as a podcast anytime, wherever you get podcasts or online at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. And you may hear Island Conversations on the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii every Sunday morning on KWXX and B97B93 and the following Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. Let's get to our conversation. I'm joined today by two Big Island physicians, Dr. Peter Locatelli, who's a pediatrician. Aloha, Dr. Locatelli. Aloha, Sherry. And Dr. Dick Ranbaranian, an internist, who's also the supervising physician for Island Heart Care, which is the Ornish Health Clinic in Kona. Aloha, Dr. Baranian. Aloha, Sherry. We're here to talk today about coronavirus and influenza. I'd like to start with influenza you know, everybody is very upset about the coronavirus, but the fact is the flu, influenza, is really bad. The CDC estimates that influenza every year since 2010 has resulted in between 9 million and 45 million illnesses, between 140,000 and 810,000 hospitalizations, and between 12,000 to 61,000 deaths. And in this flu season, so far, from October 1st, 2019, till February 1st, 2020, the CDC believes there have already been 21 to 31 million cases, and between 12,000 and 30,000 deaths because of influenza, the flu, or its complications. So I'd like to start with, what is influenza? What is the flu? Dr. Brainy, and why don't you start us off? So the flu is a viral illness caused by several different viruses, the most common of which are H1N1. And H1N1 stands for the particular particles on the capsule of a virus. Now, a virus is not a cellular organism. A virus requires the cellular machinery of some host. Meaning like a person? Like a person or an animal or a plant even to replicate. So they can't replicate on their own. They must infect a host and they actually then take over the cellular machinery and use it to reproduce. When that gets into a person, the flu virus, H1N1, H3N2, influenza B, which are the three most common ones, it causes various symptoms, mostly upper respiratory symptoms. Dr. Locatelli, flu seems to have similar symptoms to other things, so how do you know if you really have the flu? Oftentimes you don't. Uh, it can start out as a 
ordinary old respiratory virus like a cold. You sometimes will get stomach aches. Sometimes you can get even rashes from it. Most people will have it maybe five to six days and get over it and be fine for a while. The big problem with flu is that it tends to recur because, again, as it mutates often, it changes not only year to year, but it can change within the course of the year, and you're not immune to it from one year to the next. I could jump in there. And by the way, thank you for asking me to do this because I've learned a lot in the last week just reading up on flu and the coronaviruses. Well, I found it really fascinating, too. I've been listening to other interviews about coronavirus and reading about coronavirus, and there's a ton of information on the World Health Organization site, on the CDC site. Yeah, these two diseases are fascinating, but Dr. Baranian, keep going. And my wife last night said, I saw a picture of the coronavirus. It's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the things that set apart the flu from what I've read are people tend to have more than usual have chills, fever, body aches, and fatigue. So those four things, if you have all of them, would really make me concerned that you have the flu bug. So again, chills, the high fever as well, the body aches and fatigue. Oh, and headache as well. What is the treatment for influenza for flu? treatment of symptoms, rest fluids, Tylenol or um, ibuprofen for fever, stay home. It can be transmitted for five to six days. You should stay home at least one or two days after the symptoms go away. It can also be transmitted one day before you get symptoms. There are antivirals. The antivirals can be helpful, but they're not a cure-all, and they may lessen the degree of shedding of the virus by one day, so you might not be as much at risk of transmitting it to others. But again, they're not like a life-saving antibiotic generally. You know, they're something that help but may not cure. And as I understand it, antibiotics really would not help with flu. No, antibiotics, meaning antibacterials, don't help at all. In fact, they could maybe hurt you if you don't have a bacterial infection. The reason that I wanted to do this interview was because there seems to be such concern about coronavirus, which is now called COVID-19. But I want to start with flu because from what I read, Flu is something that is a very can be a very serious disease, and I think a lot of people are discounting it. But what is this coronavirus, COVID-19? Dr. Baranian? So to back up just a little bit and cover the flu and then transform into coronavirus. The flu only has about a 0.1% mortality. That is, of all the people that are going to get the flu, 0.1% are going to die from it, quote-unquote, from it. If you look at the current coronavirus, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.5% of people who contract coronavirus are going to die from it. If you look at SARS, that happened, what, 18 years ago or so. Almost 10%, almost 800 people out of 8,000 that got SARS died of it. And then SARS disappeared. One of the interesting things to me is the reason SARS disappeared is that People had such severe illnesses so quickly after they caught it, it was very clear who had it. And by quickly catching them, they were isolated, and essentially SARS went away. So coronavirus, what is it? It's a family of viruses that are very common, can cause uh, other flu-like illnesses, can cause the cold, and they're a very rapidly mutating virus, which is one of the reasons why they believe it is able to make that jump 
from animals to humans and cause disease because while in the animals, they can actually mutate at some point in time and become able to make that jump. Well, so tell us how the coronavirus goes from an animal and like what animal to humans. How does that happen? Up until fairly recently when I've started reading about this, I sort of considered the human species to be one species and animals to be something different. But it became clear years ago that that was not the way it was. The swine flu, the bird flu, some of these flus you've mentioned, and certainly with coronavirus. So how does it actually happen that it goes from an animal to a person in any of these diseases? Well, because of the ability of the virus to mutate so readily, it becomes a virus and can live in the human body. I mean, most viral illnesses are species-specific, but flu, for instance, is not because of that, and the coronavirus isn't. And again, as you mentioned in the flu, you know, there's swine flu and avian flu, which were the sort of progenitors of the human disease and started out in swine and in birds, mainly in China, too. How does it happen, though? Does it mean I have we, to eat pig or I have to eat a bird? No, or to be in contact. In fact, in China now, there is a resurgence of avian flu, which just, I think it was February 3rd, that the FDA has approved a new vaccine for it to stockpile in case the disease shows up here. With that one, it was mostly in people who worked with chickens and poultry, butchering them, raising them, and it then transmitted to humans. Luckily with that one, it doesn't transmit between humans very easily, but certainly it was a very severe flu illness when the uh, workers around poultry got it from the animals. What are the symptoms of coronavirus? You haven't really talked about that. How would I know if I might have coronavirus versus something else? What are we looking at? What do we know? Because I know that the news changes every single day on this. I don't think it's much different from any, you know, viral respiratory illness. In fact, there are sort of common cold viruses that are in the coronavirus class. I don't think you can be that specific about it. And many people are asymptomatic, which yeah. is one of the problems. So you asked about coronaviruses and how they jump from animal to humans. And that's an important point is that they can. But maybe an more important point is what Dr. Locatelli just pointed out is that the human-to-human transfer is probably even more important. There was a recent outbreak in racehorses in Australia where veterinarians were taking care of these racehorses and they did get sick, but there was no human-to-human transfer of that illness, so it didn't spread beyond that. However, with this coronavirus, not only is there that animal-to-human but then they have the capability of being transported when people sneeze and the droplets, the respiratory droplets, that then are expelled out into the air and people breathe them in. That can be transferred. So that's an important point. Yeah, and remember this COVID-19 first started out with, well, it's from eating bats from people in China in one large marketplace. And then suddenly it was realized that it can spread from human to human. And that was really the triggering point of the concern of it. As Dr. Baranian said, some diseases can be transferred before symptoms occur. So far, I think the knowledge of coronavirus is that there has not been a case transmitted from human to human where the person did not have symptoms, but that could change. 
meaning that I could have it and give it to you without, without me you even having knowing. Symptoms. Yes, that would be a major problem. I think there was a case in Germany that they thought that happened, but was discounted later on. But it's still due in the course of this illness. It's only a few months old. You bring that, up that case in Germany. Yeah. There was a woman who traveled to Germany. She apparently did have some mild fever and was taking medication yeah. for it and transferred the illness. It also brings up the issue of quarantine. The CDC is using evidence from the MERS virus, which was something similar that hit the Middle East in 2012, to state that the incubation period is 14 days. In other words, the time between you encounter the virus and the time you get ill is 14 days. Well, nothing in life is ever that exact or accurate. And if it's ever found out that it's a 15 or 16 day possible incubation period, then the quarantine for 14 days is not gonna do much good. Do we believe that everybody who's gotten coronavirus has actually been in China in contact with that particular market or those people who got sick from that particular, what they call a wet market where no, it started? No, I mean, it's, it's spread now. It people has now. never gotten near that. So that's really pretty scary. Well, we do believe that they were either in China or exposed to somebody who came from China. Yeah. But we shouldn't be really afraid of Chinese people right now, because <laughs> that's no. not the problem. It's not, no. I mean, it's not your ethnicity, but if you have been in China during this period, then you may be at risk for transmitting the disease. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Today we're getting an update on coronavirus and flu with Dr. Peter Locatelli and Dr. Dick Baranian. And I urge you to continue to check the latest statistics at reputable sites, such as the site for the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, and World Health Organization, because the coronavirus part of the story changes on almost a daily basis. Next week, we are going to continue in the health vein and learn about a brand new physician assistant training program that's coming here to the Big Island of Hawaii, brought by the University of Washington School of Medicine with Dr. Mizbah Keen and Mr. Terry Scott, faculty on the program. Before we get back to our conversation, a word from our wonderful sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local, so you know it's fresh. Fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. People die from flu and people die from coronavirus. The first person to sound the alarm in China was the doctor who was exposed to it and he did pass away. But I know that we have many, many deaths in this country from influenza. Why do people die? Is it the flu itself? Is it their immune system is weak? Is it complications from the flu? Tell us about what causes death in these cases. It's all of it. Basically, you can die of the flu as an infection or from a secondary bacterial infection that you get while you have the flu when your immune system is weak. You can get a flu virus encephalitis, which is a brain infection. You can get a flu virus pneumonia. You can get flu virus myositis, where your muscles are aching and sometimes very severely or you could get bacterial pneumonia on top of it. In fact, when the 1918 flu happened, viruses couldn't be identified, and they at first thought it was a bacterial lung infection because they could identify the bacteria. 
how do we protect ourselves from getting either the flu or coronavirus or any of the other many infectious diseases that are out there? That's a, that's a challenge, isn't it? <laughs> that's what I uh, want to know. For the flu, there is immunization. There is a vaccine. There are problems with the vaccine. The CDC in the last 15 years is monitoring the efficacy of the flu vaccine, meaning if you have it, what are the chances of you still getting a flu even though you had the vaccine? And if you look at it over the last 15 years, it's about 40% effective in preventing you from getting a flu after you've had the vaccine. Now, it's not as bad as that because it may not protect you completely, but it may make a more mild case. But still, that's nowhere near as good as something like the measles vaccine, which has a 97% efficacy rate. Why is it so hard, Dr. Baranian, to get the flu vaccine right? Because it seems like every year we hear that sometimes it's very effective, sometimes it's not so effective. And as Dr. Locatelli just said, average 40% effective. So what's the problem there with the flu vaccine? Well, the flu virus is in the family of viruses that can mutate very rapidly. And every year there seems to be different strains that circulate around the globe. Um, in the May preceding the following year, the following flu season, they try and predict what flu bug is going to be out there causing the worst scenarios. And then they will make a vaccine for that prediction. And that vaccine typically is trivalent or quadrivalent. Trivalent one includes H1N1, H3N2, and then a B, influenza B. The quadrivalent usually will have two Bs in it. But still, they're just trying to predict which flu virus will be prevalent the next year, and they're not always good at predicting. And in the meantime, they can mutate. And the WHO, who does this, they have five centers, Atlanta, London, Beijing, Tokyo, and Melbourne. Those centers gather information from over 100 centers in the world. And twice a year, they meet and determine what should be in the next year's flu virus twice a year because the southern hemisphere is different than the northern hemisphere. So Australia's flu season is sort of a mirror image of northern hemisphere. It takes about six months to get a new vaccine developed, made, and out and distributed. So they're always six months at least behind. In that six months, the virus could actually mutate and uh, the new vaccine virus for the coming year may not be very effective at all. The State Department of Health and the CDC talk a lot about other preventive measures for flu or any virus, and those include things like washing your hands and covering your mouth when you sneeze or cough. Talk about that, because that seems just like really simple. Is it simple or is that really important? I think there's a couple of different lines you can take when trying to prevent the flu. A, you can try and prevent it from ever occurring, which is the hand washing, staying away from people who are sick. If you are sick, be nice enough to stay home. And if you do have to go out, consider wearing a mask. Although, for people who are trying to not catch the flu, the masks don't seem to be so good. So those are meaning, meaning that if I have the flu and I have to go out, I should wear a mask to keep my cough and my breath to myself. But if I am fine, there's no reason for me to wear a mask. 
Correct. Okay, just wanted to double check on that. Correct. So that's preventing actually getting it. And by the way, washing of hands is at least 20 seconds underneath running water. So those viruses are getting expelled from your hands down the sink, as opposed to using the sanitizers in the markets, which probably is not as good as hand washing in that way. So that's preventing it in the first place. And then the second um, line of defense is your underlying health. How healthy are you? How resilient are you? What's your organ reserve? And that can all be helped immensely by your day-to-day routines. What you eat, whether or not you're exercising, uh, how you handle stress, how much sleep you're getting every night, you know, etc. There are ways to make you way more resilient. So... What should we be doing to keep ourselves in optimal health? A lot of people talk about taking different supplements, different antioxidants. Is that important? Or you mentioned, Dr. Baranian, mostly eating and sleeping. I mean, just like normal stuff. So are there specific supplements we should be looking at? I love what Michael Pollan says about dialing. So Michael Pollan is a fairly well-known writer, wrote Omnivore's Dilemma. And he says this about diet. He says, eat whole foods. What's that? And that's foods that are as close to their source as possible, minimally processed. He says, mostly plants and not too much. And I really agree with that. And if you can do that, you're going to be getting almost all of the nutrients you need. There probably is some evidence that zinc may be helpful in preventing the flu or maybe making it less worse when you do get it. Uh, Vitamin C has been touted as well as a good preventative agent. Other than those two, I'm not certain that there are specific supplements that are good for preventing flu. But I think what you said about taking care of yourself is very important. And the person who gets the flu but can't stand it that they're missing work or can't stand it that they're not going to school, ignores the symptoms, doesn't stay home, works himself too hard, doesn't eat well, that's the person who's going to be in trouble and spread it to others at the same time. Back to the thing about people dying, is it a weakened immune system that causes people to die, or could somebody even with a pretty robust immune system die from flu or coronavirus? You know, most of the time it's going to be weak, elderly, immune-suppressed, very young children. The 1918 flu was quite different. It was mainly healthy young people, Hmm. and it's going to vary with the flu from year to year. Certainly people who are already debilitated have a much higher chance of succumbing to the flu. That's good for us all to remember to keep ourselves healthy. I also want to mention that I read that the flu virus will stay alive and active on a hard surface for about eight hours. So if I'm going downstairs and I hold the banister, if I'm touching doorknobs, I should probably wash my hands right away every time I can, yes? It wouldn't hurt. One one thing about the transmission of the flu, traditionally it's been said that it's only large droplets, which have a distance of maybe six to eight feet from you. That's why you cough into your elbow. But more recent studies have shown that small particles that you can exhale when you just have normal breathing, not when you cough or sneeze, can also transmit it. And that makes, you know, the preventive measures a lot more difficult. Well, with respect to hygiene, I can see all of us turning into Howard Hughes, and I, uh, I propose <laughs> that we not do that. But certainly, when you get home after a day at work and around the community, wash your hands at home when you first get there. I think that's really wise. Yeah. 
What else would you all like to add that we haven't talked about relative to flu or coronavirus? The one thing that looking up for this, you know, I, I start thinking about the N95 masks, if you know what those are. Those Aren't those are like heavier than just the regular heavier, surgical masks? And they have two sets of straps and they have a little foam seal and they're meant to be put tightly over your face, unlike the surgical flu masks, which have a lot of airspace. And those are actually approved along with other protective gear for things like being around a measles virus environment. And they will filter out small particles much better than the regular surgical mask, but they also restrict your breathing. And uh, I did encounter, I told Sherry, a study from Singapore where they did it at sea level and it was dramatic. Your work of breathing increased by 120%. The amount of air you moved when you breathed with each breath declined by about 40%. Mm. And most healthy young people can tolerate that for a while. But think if you're on an airplane, which is pressurized to no more than 6,000 feet, maybe even less than that. And if you already have emphysema, cardiovascular disease, asthma, you could be in serious trouble wearing one of those. It may be in your best interest not to try and wear that kind of mask. If you are not sick. If you're, especially if you're not sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you are sick, what are you doing on the airplane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with that. So if I suspect I have either flu or coronavirus for some reason or whatever, what should I do? Should I call my doctor, go to the hospital? What's your recommendation? Don't go to the hospital. Call okay. your doctor. It's unlikely you have... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Stay unlike, home is but, what I think no, you're saying. No, the hospital doesn't want someone in walking in a huge emergency room situation with active contagious disease. The new, newer point-of-service flu tests, which are the ones you can do in the doctor's office, are much better than, ones than even two or three years ago. So they'd be more likely to be able to diagnose you in an office situation than having to go to the ER or anything else. Is there even a test at this point for coronavirus, for yeah. COVID-19? Oh, I don't is. think it's, you know, it's not in doctor's offices, but yes, there's okay. a test. Available. Right. I remember that now. Yeah. And actually, the, PCR state, test. Right. Yeah. And the State Department of Health says they are now able to do testing right, right here in the state. Right. And every single state now has multiple ways to do testing. So they do not anymore have to ship the samples to the CDC, right? Correct. Okay. They may ship some just for surveillance to see how well this point-of-service test is doing, though. So I had a couple comments on flu and what you should do. I totally agree. Don't go to the hospital. But I have a caveat to that. If you have the flu and you're cooking along, you seem to be getting better. And all of a sudden, kind of take a turn for the worse. To me, that suggests that a secondary bug has jumped on board. And that's a danger sign to me. So if your cough is getting better and your sputum has lightened up in color, and all of a sudden you begin to have fevers again, your cough gets worse and your sputum changes, to me that suggests that a bacteria has crawled down into your lung and caused a secondary infection. And I believe that's a large part of what kills people. So if, if that happens, I would definitely go and get some help. Yeah, I, I think that's excellent advice, and it also points out the limitation of telephone or telemedicine. When the swine flu hit Great Britain with their National Health Service, they developed a system of call-in to an 800 number, and you would state your symptoms or your children's symptoms, and the voice on the phone 
if it followed an algorithm saying, gee, this looks like it's the flu, would call in prescriptions for Tamiflu or an antiviral. After they evaluated that, um, they found out that only one in five prescriptions was appropriate. And they had a number of deaths actually from childhood meningitis where parents would call in that give the symptoms. Early symptoms of meningitis can look just like the flu. So be careful of that. And if you are taking an antiviral and you're not getting better or getting worse, uh, don't, you know, just wait it out. You may have something else going on. Good point. Good advice. Anything else before we say aloha, Dr. Barini, and I see you have something else. Yes. Dr. Locatelli mentioned don't go to the hospital, and I'm glad he said that first. I agree with that, and there's another reason why I agree with that. Not only could you give somebody what you have, but there are very bad bugs that call the hospital home. Those bugs have multiple antibiotic resistance, and should one of them decide to jump down in your lungs after you're already compromised, you can be in deep trouble. So don't do that. And the comment on the tests. The tests that they have, the rapid tests they have in the doctor's office, 50 to 70% are actually sensitive. So if you actually have the virus, 50 to 70% of the time, they're going to say, yes, you have it. But there's 30 to 50%, it's going to say no. So to me, they're not all that worthwhile. Yeah, the CDC doesn't really recommend everyone who has flu symptoms to get the test right. for that reason. And in fact, if there's a whole lot of flu bugs going around, you go and have the test done, and it's negative, the likelihood is you probably still have the disease. Good to know. Right. Before we say aloha, what else? Dr. Locatelli? Just be careful. Stay Dr. healthy. <laughs> yeah. Stay healthy. And make sure we stay healthy so we don't get sick. Yeah, yeah. Correct. And stay healthy so that if you do get sick, your resilience will pull you right through it and you'll be just fine. Dr. Dick Baranian, thank you so much for being with us. Aloha. Aloha. Dr. Peter Locatelli, thank you again for your advice. Aloha. Aloha, Sherry. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this really interesting conversation. You may get updates and more information about both influenza, the flu, and coronavirus or COVID-19 at the websites for the World Health Organization and the CDC. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Until our next Island Conversations, please, let's all live and drive with Aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.